Welcome to another episode of the Richards Report. I'm Ted Richards. At the time of recording, it's now the end of March 2020 and COVID-19 continues to spread around the world. It's like nothing we've ever seen before. Much of the world is in lockdown. Many have lost their jobs and their livelihoods and stress and anxiety continues to consume people. And it's that last one, stress and anxiety, that I want to speak about today on this episode is from a behavioral point of view, they can really affect our decision making. Before we get into it for this episode, I want to touch on two items to begin with. The first is, let's start off with a timestamp as it's currently the 27th of March and the world is a different place in many ways to where we were a few months ago, even a week or so ago. The timing of the recording of this episode needs to be taken into account when you're listening to it, as you'd be pretty naive to think that in a few weeks' time, things couldn't dramatically change once again from here, be it for the worse in some way, hopefully not, fingers crossed, hopefully things change for the better for us all, only time will tell. The other thing that I would like to mention is that right now, a lot of people in the community are doing it tough, either for health reasons as this virus spreads, or financially as the economic fallout hits businesses all over the world and many people lose their livelihoods. Industries like hospitality, transport and tourism have been impacted so quickly. Even a lot of my friends in the sporting world, both on-field and off-field in administration. To be honest, it's been brutal to so many others too. I'm aware that a lot of regular listeners into this podcast could be doing it tough right now, so I'm very sympathetic for you all out there. I'm also aware that the impact on someone's financial situation can quickly have a flow-on effect for their state of their mental health too. So another reason why I wanted to have a chat with an expert in this area is hopefully you might pick up a tool or two to help you through a stressful period of time. This episode, I'm speaking with Alan Jackson, a psychologist based in Ballarat and Victoria. Um, Alan is also the host of the fantastic podcast, Potential Psychology. And um, Alan and I actually first met each other at the Australian Podcast Awards last year. This episode, I speak with Alan about the effects stress and anxiety can have on our decision-making. And there's so many different directions we could take this discussion. But the Richards Report, being an investing podcast, I probably try and maintain a bit of a financial lens to the discussion, which I know is only part of the picture of what's going on, but it's still important to discuss it. Alan also gives some some tips and tools we can use to practice mindfulness at a time of heightened stress and anxiety, which I think can be useful to ensure that we continue to make logical, rational decisions in these times. As always, some disclosures. This episode does not qualify as financial advice as it's just for informational and educational purposes only, and people may hold positions in the companies discussed. This episode is brought to you by Six Park, and show notes will be available on the Six Park website sixpark.com.au s-i-x-p-a-r-k okay let's get into it with no further ado my name is ted richards you're listening to the richards report and here is my discussion with psychologist alan jackson you're listening to the richards report where we will speak with investment experts from around the country we will cut through the jargon to allow you to make more insightful investment decisions for your future this is the richards report Alan, welcome to The Richards Report. Thank you very much for having me. It's fantastic to be here. I've been meaning to have a chat with you for a while now to talk about psychology and decision making. But with what's going on in the world right now, I couldn't think of a better time to get you on as it's affecting people all around the world in so many ways, in particular heightened levels of stress and anxiety. Yes, a very uh, pertinent topic, I think. Alan, from a 
from a human behavior point of view, what's causing the heightened stress and anxiety in us all right now? Is it that there's so much uncertainty and what can this do to our decision making? Look, uncertainty absolutely plays a part. I mean, it plays a massive part for us at the moment, not just because well, because so uncertainty, I guess, is, is just manifesting in so many different forms. So for some people, it's going to be uncertainty about income and work security. For some people, it's uncertainty around health and the well-being of their families. For some, it's uncertainty around the economy. There's, you know, just so many factors, so many ways in which uncertainty is hitting us at a really rapid rate. And this is something that our brain just does not like. It is not the way humans are kind of designed to operate, really. We're we're designed by virtue of the way that our brain works. It likes predictability. It's the only way that it is able to make meaning and limit the amount of resources, the emotional, cognitive, psychological resources that we need to get through our day. So as soon as we get swamped by uncertainty on every facet of life at such a rapid pace, that becomes extraordinarily overwhelming and our brain perceives that as threat and, you know, anxiety and stress goes through the roof. Is that part of the reason why we're seeing the behaviour that we have seen in the supermarkets? Is this kind of related? I Absolutely, absolutely. I One of the... And it has, it's such been such difficult behavior. And it's been, in a way, as a psychologist, this is a a fascinating social experiment (laughs) to see that that's, I shouldn't, you know, I'm not laughing about that, but it is, you know, in terms of being able to observe what happens to a huge collection of people in, you know, globally and to be thrown into this kind of uncertainty and to see the sort of behavior that occurs as a result. And certainly with the panic buying, because we are uncomfortable with a level of uncertainty, because we like to be able to predict our day and our week and our life to a certain extent, and that's the way our brain operates, as soon as this uncertainty is thrust upon us, we can become far more focused on ourselves as individuals. We're perceiving or our brain is perceiving a threat to our well-being or potentially even our survival. And our first instinct is to go, right, what do I need to do for me and those immediately around me, you know, my loved ones? And I think the panic buying that we saw in supermarkets very early on as these things started to unfold was that response. It was like, I can't control any of what's going on. I can't control this illness, this virus. I can't control the decisions that the government makes. I can't control the behaviour of those around me and, and whether or not they're going to keep their social distance, for example. What can I control? And I think this happens at an subconscious level, really. We're not consciously thinking it through this way. But I can control the amount of food that I've got available to me if we need to lock down. That's something I can do. So quick, there's an urgent need to be able to, you know, keep up those supplies or grab those supplies. There's other factors like, you know, commentary in the media that probably feeds into that system and that understanding, which means that the panic buying of toilet paper, you know, became a thing, even though there wasn't an obvious or logical need for toilet paper. I think some of the things that you mentioned there are fascinating. Just to bring it back to investing, That word you mentioned, control, I think investing always comes with a level of uncertainty, which is a big reason why it's so important to diversify um, because you don't have that that level of control. And if you put all your eggs in one basket, it may feel like, uh, if it may feel smart and that you could multiply the upside, 
but unexpected things happen, be it black swan events like uh, this or something else. And if you don't diversify, you may in fact multiply the downside and um, also increase the level of stress and uncertainty in your life. Alan, I, um, I've thought about what's going on and something else you mentioned was loved ones. And I thought if we actually flipped what's going on right now in that what if the most vulnerable in society to this virus weren't the elderly like it appears to be, but it was in fact young kids and young children. And I don't want to focus too much on chatting about what ifs. I, I know as a parent, if I saw people ignoring or not following through with proper social distancing etiquette, I think my, my behavioural response would be very different and just be furious because I the impact that it could have um, on my young kids. Yeah, because that brings out a protective type element in your behavior so there and that's kind of an example of how these systemic things work you know you observe something it triggers something in you that says no I need to protect the more vulnerable in my family you know i.e my children and therefore it triggers a behavioral response so that's kind of how those systems work. Triggering another behavior Alan I've noticed I always keep checking Twitter and the AFR app, the Australian Financial Review app. I'm just looking at these nonstop for updates. And um, my wife and I are talking about COVID-19 a lot. It's like the conversation that never ends. And to be honest, I kind of don't want to stop talking about it. And from a psychological point of view, is this normal? <laughs> it's absolutely normal. Absolutely normal. You've got nothing to worry about. And and to be honest, I have found myself and my husband and I are doing exactly the same thing. You sort of wake up in the morning and it's like your eyes go ping and suddenly it's like, quick, what's happened? I need to know what's gone on overnight. And that's a really, again, a normal response to uncertainty because our brain struggles with uncertainty. It doesn't like a lack of predictability because it has to work harder to make sense of the world. We look for and the psychological human behaviour term for this is cognitive closure. So what it is, is your brain trying to kind of fill in the gaps in the missing information that if it was filled in, would make you feel more comfortable and more at ease. So to use a really kind of practical example that your listeners might relate to, if you, for some reason, if your team's playing footy and you are unable to watch the game, you're at a function or you're tied up with something else, there's a little part of your brain potentially niggling away saying, I need to know the footy scores. I need to know the footy scores. And it's like a level of discomfort keeps at you know rising within you. You might find yourself at some level getting more and more agitated until you're able to check your phone or check the TV and find out what the footy scores are. And then you kind of settle down for a bit. You know, you might not like what you hear or see in terms of the result and where things are at, but you know, that level of agitation will settle a little bit. And if the game is ongoing, that may start to build up again until you get another chance. And then eventually, you know, when you see the final score, again, you might not like what the result is, but it's almost like your body can go, right, I've got closure on that. I'm good. And, you know, some part of you probably starts to think about what happens next week. But it's the same with this. We have all of this uncertainty playing out. We have a rapid rate and our brain is trying to scan for information to get this sense of closure, to know what to do, to know what the answers are, to be able to make decisions, even at a practical level about, you know, when am I going to be able to get to the supermarket, get the supplies that I want, or, you know, what is going to happen with regard to my job or my work, my income. 
every single facet of our life is being affected by this and our brain is constantly scanning saying i need the answers i need to get closure on this i need to know so that i can let that level of stress subdue a little bit of course the challenge that we've got is that we don't have answers to most of this so we're getting kind of you know thrust into this maelstrom of uncertainty and our brain saying tell me tell me so you, we scan you know we check twitter we check the abc news app we're checking our social media uh hoping somewhere cognitively that we're going to get some answers we might get little answers to little pieces of the puzzle we might say okay you know i know what's happened in terms you know we've had slightly fewer cases have uh occurred over the last couple of days that's good news that makes me feel a little bit better or I know that schools are closing as of, you know, this week and great, that's a bit of discomfort that I had around what was going to happen in relation to my kids. I can get a little bit of closure on that. But, you know, across the board, it's a lot of gaps in our information. There's a lot of uncertainty and, and absence from that. So that need for cognitive closure just keeps driving that checking behaviour. The problem then, of course, is that level of uncertainty um, and the constant checking behaviour. We do that to get that cognitive closure. The problem is it becomes a bit of a double-edged sword because as we keep checking and looking for more information, we're getting more bad news often. We're just revealing more gaps in our knowledge and that helps. Alan, I, I hate to interrupt, but this is so relevant to investing because that's that's what's happening right now for many people is that this uncertainty, they're seeing um, a lot of red, possibly um, a loss. It just makes us wanting to keep look at these screens and, and um, search for um, more certainty where there is none. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, look, incredibly relevant, you know, with, with the changing and incredible fluctuations in the stock market that have been taking place as a result of this pandemic, there will be, you know, it's like, I'll, I'll check now because we're looking for the good news. We're looking to be able to say, right, okay, it's stabilised, I can feel better, or it's jumped up, I can feel better. Um, often, unfortunately, we're not seeing that. We're either getting more fluctuation or perhaps further drops that just increase the stress and anxiety, and it just perpetuates the loop. It perpetuates the need to check and therefore perpetuates the rise in stress levels, especially since this is something that's entirely out of your control. So you can't control any aspect of what happens with the stock market, for example. You know, you, there's nothing that you can do that any one of us can do because it's a big complex system that evolves as a result of lots of different factors. And if we focus all our, intent, our attention on that stuff we can't control, that's a really disempowering, stressful, difficult place to be. On that topic of control and predictions, it reminds me of a, a quote from uh, John Galbraith that I like, and that's, there are two kinds of forecasters in the world. There's those who don't know and those who don't know they don't know, which I think <laughs> is just perfect. Um, but sorry to interrupt there. No, that's okay. Yeah, look, exactly. You know, we, we can't control it. And, and to think that we can, um, and often we see that in all sorts of elements of human behaviour. You know, we, we get frustrated because of the behaviour of, you know, our community. And so we rant and rave on social media or we get ourselves very agitated. We might be frustrated by what we see as a, a lack of action on the part of 
government and and institutions and so we get frustrated and you know it manifests in all of this behavior which is us trying to exert some control but we're trying it's like trying to change the weather you know you don't have any control over it and all you're doing is increasing your own stress and distress so as psychologists we always remind people that you know it, it's it's an unhelpful place to be to focus on the things you can't control so if you're constantly checking the stock market to see what's going on and all it's doing is raising your stress levels it's about then refocusing on well what can i control i can't do anything about that the only thing i can really decide is whether or not i'm in or i'm out and once we've made that decision it's about staying okay if I've decided I'm in and I'm staying in this for the long haul, then I need to start looking after my stress levels <laughs> and myself and focus on the things I can control. And I might say, right, I'm going to put some limits on how often I check. You know, I, I'm allowed to check first thing in the morning and again before bed and that's it because if the constant checking behaviour is, you know, increasing your stress and distress, making you more agitated, making you short-tempered, making you sad, whatever it might be, you know, that's that's not a helpful place to be. I've actually got to remove my phone from the bedroom now because I'm keeping an eye on what's going on in the US overnight and I'm, a, I'm aware that that's affecting my sleep. But there's a few other things that I want to, want to chat about um, that I'm aware of that's contributing to my own stress and anxiety right now. And one of which is I'm actually finding working from home to be quite stressful. And um, <laughs> many, many people I speak about working from home is meant to be awesome. But why am I finding this so stressful? I think there's a few different factors at play at the moment. One is that for those people for whom working from home is awesome or, you know, touted as being awesome, it's usually because they've volunteered to do so. So for whatever reason, this is something that's desirable for them. They've probably had the opportunity to get set up. So they've got a dedicated workspace. They've got the ergonomic stuff that they need. They've got, you know, good lighting, the right kit, and perhaps it fits with their lifestyle, you know, and their family needs. So if we've gone into it in a planned way, then it can be fantastic. Now, lots of us, more than not, have been thrust into this in a very unplanned way. Myself included. Yourself included, yeah. So without the opportunity to make sure you're all set up. And on top of that, we're doing it in a circumstance where we've got our entire families at home often as well. So I'm at home at the moment working. My husband is working from home and I have my two school-aged children here as well. So, you know, ordinarily when the all four of us are here, it's the weekend and we can go out and we've got sports and activities and, you know, that's how life rolls. But to put all four of us in a situation where we don't have the space, we don't necessarily have the setup. And I'm saying this from somebody who worked from home for 16 years. So I've actually had a lot of experience with it and I can probably adapt more readily than others, but it's still hard because not every there's no routine, there's no kind of structure. Um, everyone's on top of each other. So the fact that we've not been able to plan it, we're not being able to set ourselves up for it. And then for a lot of people, and again, I say this as someone who has worked from home for a long time, there's actually a lot of discipline required to work from home. We need to establish a really good routine that, 
usually for most people, the advice is, you know, you get up, you set a certain start hour, you might get up and get dressed in the same way that you would before you went to work. If you were working out of the home, you would have, you know, work periods, you would take breaks that would allow you to go perhaps outside, get a coffee, go for a walk, do all of those sorts of things. Um, and, you know, having a dedicated start time, a dedicated lunch break and a dedicated end time in the same way. And people who work from home successfully tend to do that because they know that's good for their well-being. For those people new to it, it can just be a kind of a bit of a rolling mess of life and work and no structure and no routine. And I know when I started working from home many, many years ago, I would quite often kind of procrastinate, delay and do other household tasks and not get a whole lot done over the course of the day. And then I would do this mad cram in the evenings when I should have been relaxing to try and meet my deadlines. I tell far out, you know, suddenly it's four o'clock or five o'clock and I've still basically got the day's work to get done. I'll have to do it at night. So it's really easy to get into this kind of jumbled, stressful mess of a routine or lack of routine. Yeah, for, for myself, I know routine's important to me. It was important with football and, and it, it's important in uh, what I'm up to with Six Park. And another aspect of my routine that which is now being removed, which I've got no doubt is creating more stress and anxiety is the fact that I can't go to the gym that I used to go to regularly. Mm -hmm. I don't get that release. Yes. So yeah, you know, a lot of our avenues for stress release at the moment have been taken away from us. So people using gym, people using any kind of you know, exercise class, social interaction, which is so important to our well-being as well, being connected to other people, whether that's, you know, going out for a drink or whether it's, you know, catching up with people for lunch or coffee or, you know, even exercising together, whatever it might be, a lot of, you know, that's all been removed from us as well. So our ordinary, the things that we would normally advocate for well-being, um, like exercise, like social interaction, um, like, well, well, even sleep. I was going to say, you know, sleep is one of the fundamentals to well-being, but that there'll be a lot of people for whom sleep is difficult right now because of anxiety, because of that, as you were saying before, you know, having the phone in the room and had constantly checking <laughs> that behavior, um, you know, even sleep is hard. So a lot of our basic things that we know are core to keeping our resilience up and our well-being up um, have shifted and altered or, or been taken from us at yeah. the moment. And that's hard too. I, I check the phone because it's so much related to my work. But um, regarding sleep with investing, there's what I sometimes call the sleep test in that you need to be able to, to pass it. it. doesn't matter what your time horizon is. If you can't sleep, you won't last very long when it comes to investing. And at Six Park, and to be fair, most other wealth managers, they do take you through a risk assessment to begin with. And this is a series of questions for those that not, might not be familiar with a risk assessment, uh, which takes into account your investment horizon, your risk appetite, and your investment experience. And I just want to mention the importance of that because whilst this won't prevent market crashes, it can help people sleep at night in times like now. The other point that I'd like to make is that it's incorrect uh, to think that we all behave the same way in the same circumstance, which is another reason why it's important to have some form of risk assessment before you start investing is some people are naturally more cautious than others and this needs to be taken into account. Alan, you mentioned stress. Can stress have influence your your time horizon in how you view things because I, I am conscious that it can do that when it comes to investing absolutely stress is 
so when we perceive any kind of risk or threat and it does activate what we call our stress response system or our sympathetic nervous system and that plays out physiologically you know the anxious tummy the sweaty palms the racing heart uh, it's all designed to it's for our fight or flight response so it's all designed to help us either fight or flee now you'd know from an investment point of view you know if you wake up in the morning and you see that the stock market has plunged significantly you'll have all those same physiological reactions you know that's your brain saying oh my god there is threat here now that's because your brain can't differentiate between a physical threat like you know if you step onto the road and suddenly a car comes around the corner a car that you haven't seen you know that physiological response is there to get you out of the way, which it does. Now, it can't. your brain can't determine the difference between the oncoming car and the stock market dropping. It just goes, oh, my God, stress, bad threat, you know, and activates all of that same physiological response. But there's also a cognitive response that occurs as well. So often if we're under heightened stress, we have a kind of a reduction in what we call our attentional focus. So our ability to focus on perhaps the bigger picture disappears because, again, if you think about it in terms of survival, your brain's saying, right, you've got to focus on what's right here, right now. So, you know, that might be, you know, a panic response that says, right, I've got to get out before this falls further. But whether that's the right decision is going to be very different. You know, you might look at the situation or, you know, if you're looking at it retrospectively some years down the track when you're feeling far more comfortable and say, oh, my God, that was the wrong decision to do because I didn't take into consideration all of these other broader things. So this reduction in attentional focus and this inability to sort of easily step back and see the other factors that might be at play when it comes to making a decision will have an impact on us and that's just the result of stress. Yeah, I think that's fascinating because in this podcast, I have spoken so much about loss aversion and, and this, at times, this negativity bias that we focus so much on possible negative outcomes and how things may get worse from here or um, further implications as opposed to being able to look at potential positives to come out of it as well. Yeah, and that's a really normal, again, you know, we're talking about brain and behaviour. That's a really normal and, and in fact, it's an important element of our brain this negativity bias and it's not just in investing it's in absolutely every facet of life we're all inclined to see risk before we see the benefits we're inclined to have a more active emotional response to those risks so whilst we might tend to kind of gloss over we go oh well yeah you know there could be these upsides but really you know these are the downsides these are the things we need to worry about this is you know i, I feel really strongly about this as a threat or a concern um again it's a normal part of our brain's response to keeping us safe it's just that it can't differentiate between a physical risk and a non-physical risk and what we know from so the field of psychology that I practice in, which is called positive psychology, is that increasingly we're starting to understand that we can actually use tools and techniques to retrain our brain to see the positive elements over and above the negative ones, to reduce that emotional impact that the negative has on us. And that's where things like gratitude practice come in. Um, but, you know, in your field, it would be, you know, just a kind of a, a constant need to remind and realign that, yes, there is a risk, but there's also potential upsides here. You know, there's potential benefits. So we just need to kind of keep reminding our brain that that's, you know, the negative isn't the only bit at play here. 
I might get to some of these t- uh, tips shortly because I, I think they're going to be they're valuable yeah. life skills to have. Before we move on, I just want to say that the uh, that risk assessment, which I, I mentioned earlier, it's actually free to take on the Six Park website if you're keen to to find out more about that. Alan, before we do move on to um, tips and advice about um, how we can change our mindset, you mentioned something in a, one of your podcast episodes, which I found quite fascinating and relevant to what's going on right now, and that is social debonding. Can you please give us a bit of colour as to what that is? Yeah, this this is stuff that comes out of uh, emergency management or disaster psychology, really. So looking at what occurs at a social level when we are in crisis. And I think it comes back a little bit to those uh, the initial question that you had about behaviour in supermarkets and the stockpiling uh, behaviour that we saw a little while ago. And that is that we understand that when human beings have that this is all about me response, you know, this kind of focus back, it's just a survival instinct, focus back on me and my immediate loved ones and what I need to do to protect us. Again, might not seem necessarily logical or thoughtful or kind, but it is a very human response. And uh, the disaster recovery psychologists look at this and they, they have a phrase for it, which is social debonding. So it's the point at which instead of us being able to step back and look at our entire community, the, the wider population and say, you know, we're all in this together, the stuff that we're starting to see come through now in relation to this pandemic our initial response can be, no, this is all about me. I need to look after myself. And we are debonding. We are kind of removing ourselves or the bonds within our community one from the other. So, again, very normal behaviour, but very, I suppose, um, self-focused behaviour. Well, so many people have pointed out that an outcome of all this is that there could be more babies being born in nine months' time, and uh, which is great, <laughs> yes. great if that's the case. But... <laughs> I'm, I'm actually aware of this social debonding, which could manifest, and we actually see, uh, unfortunately, an increase in divorces. And um, mm-hmm. I should qualify that. My wife occasionally listens to these podcast episodes, so uh, not, not speaking personally here. <laughs> not suggesting anything. <laughs> no, no, not suggesting anything. Um, but because, you know, be it your financial situation or um, someone being sick in your family, it can very quickly affect um, your mental health, which can have um, fallen effects to um, uh, mm. your family at home. Mm. Alan, you've, uh, we've covered so much on all the ways stress and anxiety can impact our decision-making, be it investing or otherwise. Now, can you please provide us with some tips to build our resilience in these times? Absolutely. So keeping ourselves calm, and I know that that sounds like such an easy thing when I just say it like that, but of course it's not nearly that easy. But, you know, we've talked about how our brain and body responds in time of stress and uncertainty, and there are so many things being thrown at us and it's changing so rapidly. It can keep us in a kind of hypervigilant, anxious, agitated state, which is not good for us psychologically. It's not good for our decision-making, as we've discussed. It's not good for us necessarily physically either. So some really key baseline things that we can be doing just to reduce that stress. The first that I recommend for everybody, because it's something that nobody can take away from us right now, is just taking some deep breaths. So I usually advocate five deep breaths. And what that does is, and it's the deep breath element of it, it has to be a kind of a big belly breath so that you can feel your belly rise and fall if you had your hand on on your belly as you're doing these sorts of breaths. 
is that it activates the opposite. I mentioned before the stress response system or parasympathetic nervous system, which wires up and gets us ready to fight or flee. Staying in that hypervigilant state is not good for us. So we need to be able to deactivate that, especially at the moment where we're being bombarded with all these messages that keeps us, you know, out there and agitated. So to do that, the five deep breaths activates the parasympathetic nervous system. So it's the opposite or the relaxation response. So it's really just a case of, you know, hand on the belly, breathe in, say, for four or five counts and breathe out for four or five counts. And if we can do that four or five times, it just calms the entire system down physiologically and psychologically. You should actually be able to feel, certainly once you've done this for a bit and you start to get a bit of practice at it, and anybody who's practiced yoga or any kind of ongoing relaxation type techniques would know this feeling instantly. It's like everything has just sort of calmed down. So if you get into bed at night, for example, and because often we can be in a pretty stressed state without necessarily noticing that that's where we're at. You might ask somebody and say, are you stressed? And go, no, no, I'm not stressed, but you can see them, you know, it's like their shoulders are up around their ears, <laughs> their edge of their fists might be clenched, you know, they're short tempered, they're agitated, um, but they will deny being stressed. And so just as a little indicator, you know, when you get into bed at night and lie down, if you can hear and feel your blood pumping around your head, and I know this is something that's been happening to me, even though I know all the things that I'm supposed to be doing, but again, it's just the impact of our environment right now then that's a sign of stress yeah if you lie down in bed at night or take a moment at any point during the day just to notice where your body is at if you've got your shoulders you know stiff neck is stiff jaw is clenched uh you know stomach muscles are tight we will all manifest this stress physiologically in different ways so if you notice that that's when you take your five deep breaths just to activate this relaxation response it just calms everything down helps your brain kind of take a break for a moment to be able to regather your senses you may therefore be able to step back and make those decisions with a bit more perspective you know make uh, just just be a little calmer in every sense physically psychologically and cognitively so that's my first step it's simple it's free it can be done anywhere and usually getting into the habit and these are skills for life you know i mean obviously these are things that we're advocating strongly at the moment because of the circumstances we're in but these are skills for life. So, you know, we will all have stressful experiences over the remainder of our lives, you know, once this is all done and gone, uh, but we can still use these techniques. So that's, that's probably the first one. Yeah. Yeah. Please keep going. Yeah. The second is, uh, is sleep. So we, we touched on sleep before and the importance of sleep. So sleep gives our bodies and brains a char a chance to recharge and reset it's vital to our immunity so there are proteins that are created by the body that play a big part in immunity and that happens those proteins are uh, created while we're sleeping so sleep's vital for that it's vital for our emotional what we call mood regulation so any anyone who's had small children in the house who has had periods of you know disrupted interrupted and poor sleep will know how easy it is to fly off the handle to burst into tears to just be constantly on edge because you know we need sleep to be able to regulate our mood alan you actually mentioned immunity right there and mm -hmm. i can't get over the amount of people uh, myself included uh, have actually had colds recently not sick with uh the the coronavirus but just cold mm. so it's 
it's this stress and anxiety is actually making us more susceptible to the common cold. Yeah, look, there, there's probably two ways that that, that could be the case. That's more a medical question than a psychological okay. question. The psychological element would be that we're probably just noticing it more. There's a kind of salience effect. So our brain is primed to, to be thinking about illness, to be thinking about viruses, especially things that are related to kind of coughs, colds, sniffles, those sorts of things. And so it's almost like our brain is scanning for threat again and it's like, oh, I've got a cold. Oh, my kids have got a cold. You know, people. I've seen people coughing. I've seen people sneezing. So, you know, it's a little like when we buy a new car and say we've bought a green car, suddenly we see an awful lot of green cars out there. Or, you know, when people are pregnant, they suddenly notice how many other pregnant people they are. It's this kind of salience effect. So that might be what's going on a little there as well, Ted. Yeah, well, possibly a bit of, uh, I don't know whether it's confirmation bias, but uh, we, yeah. can, we, can, <laughs> we can be uh, guilty, myself including, is uh, looking at patterns and think, believing there's patterns where there actually Absolutely. Is, there is no pattern there. Same whatsoever. thing. Yeah. Um, a, a, any other tips, Alan? Yeah, look, um, the other ones that we touched on earlier, uh, oh, just going back to, to sleep quickly, I think the, the strategy there in terms of sleep is knowing how much sleep you need so the bit of individual variation i think the guidelines generally say seven and a half to eight hours sleep per you know is is what an average adult requires but there is individual variation in that so knowing how much sleep you need uh to wake up feeling reasonably well rested and refreshed and then just really planning your day around making sure as best you can that you get that amount of sleep consistently. It's it's hard at the moment. People are getting distracted. But if you need to take the phone out of your room. I really do need to do that, yeah. <laughs> set a bedtime, you know, can be, I tell people just get all primary school and set yourself a bedtime and say, right, I need to be in bed by, because often we forget as grown-ups, we're really vigilant with our kids and say, right, bedtime's now. You need X amount of sleep as a child to, you know, grow and thrive. And we forget to do that as as adults, but it's exactly the same principle. So that's sleep. The other things that we talk about for baseline for just managing our stress levels are exercise in whatever way we can. So we're starting to see some really innovative and creative ways to exercise for people who don't have access to their usual gyms or usual classes that they go to. But at a very, you know, at a minimum, from a psychological point of view, you know, obviously there's physical benefits to getting your high cardio and, and all your weights work and all of that done. But if it's, we're talking psychologically, just walking will do, you know, if you can get out, especially we've got glorious weather here in Australia at the moment, you know, even just getting out and walking for 15 minutes, you know, will, will help to distract us. You know, we're better at getting that perspective when we go out into the world, especially if we've been ruminating, you know, if, if you are worried about the, you know, stock market plunge and you're having trouble getting that off your mind, then going out for a walk, seeing other people, being a bit mindful and, and present in, you know, nature and perhaps your kids, if you're taking them out, is a good distraction and, and good for our mental health. And then there's a few tools around just reframing. So, you know, even one of the ones that I like at the moment is just a reminding or reminding yourself, reviewing your life and looking back and saying, where have I struggled in the past? What other events have occurred in my life where I've been stressed, where I've been anxious, where I've perhaps not been able to see my way out of, you know, how this is going to be resolved at the time? And what happened? You know, because I did survive, I am here. I have made it. Um, you know, what did I learn from that? A reminder of our strength and our capability. 
a reminder that while something might seem like the end of the world at the time that we're in it, you know, with distance and time, we get a better perspective on it. We realise that, you know, we're survivors, we'll get through this again. And, and even just drawing on some of those past successes is a good way to bolster your confidence, your self-belief, uh, reduce your stress and perhaps even give you a few keys as to, t- you know, actions that you can take now. You know, what did I do in the past when that was really difficult? Well, perhaps I lent on family and friends or perhaps I, you know, exercised or whatever it was that was a key to getting through those difficult times in the past. You know, we can reuse those as we face difficult times right now. And when it comes to investing, this might be the first crash that uh, some people have, have been through, but we can learn the lessons from the past, be it what happened through the financial crisis, the, the tech crash, one in the late 80s, even going straight back to uh, the Great Depression in the, the 30s, is that history says that markets do bounce back over time even as catastrophic as it might feel in that moment. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. I know there is a really interesting graph that's out there that I saw years ago about the stock market that kind of, and I'm sure it's something that your your listeners would know and you would know yourself, you know, that if we take back to, you know, kind of 100 years and even though there's these massive dips, as soon as you step back and get that perspective and you're able to chart that movement over time, you know, it, it's going up and up over time. It's just that we're in one of those little spikes down. There's nothing to say from history that it won't recover as well so that and that's a good that's what we call a perspective taking exercise psychologically you know being able to step back and take a look at that from a different viewpoint so we're not right in it we're stepping back from it and looking at the bigger picture and looking over history and that's a really you know fantastic tool to use for managing our stress levels and and maintaining our well-being. Alan, I don't know if this is applicable to uh, what we've just been speaking about but I am conscious at some point we may get a virus that's much worse than this and that will affect everyone, not just um, focusing more so on the elderly. And I, I view that this this could be a bit of a, um, a test for us, a bit of a practice. So um, if and when the next virus comes that affects us all, all the countries around the world should well and truly be prepared for the next um, because this has been a bit of a black swan event and it has come from nowhere but it is a bit of a test for us and um, we should come out of this uh, in a much better way um, prepared for the next one. Absolutely and again you know that's that's a hopeful way of looking at it which is again important for our well-being trying to find hope where there is some and flipping things around a little bit and I think you're absolutely right you know from a practical point of view we only need to look at some of those countries like Singapore who experienced the SARS virus some years ago now and the fact that that has kept them in better stead for dealing with the current situation and I think that's going to play out in so many ways not just our preparedness from a health and and um pandemic point of view but you know we're all going to know a little bit more about working from home and how to do that right we're all going to know a little bit more about how to maintain communities virtually Um, even my son's teacher who I spoke to yesterday who's a big part of getting their school set up so that should they not go back to school at the beginning of next term they have remote learning in place and she said actually in a way it's really exciting to be able to say look we've got this challenge ahead of us let's see what we can do because that may be a really useful tool for you know teaching kids into the future either in, in difficult circumstances or just in the everyday. Alan, I think they're, they're great life skills um, that are applicable, whether it's what's going on right now with um, COVID-19 
or there's other times in your life when you're facing stress and anxiety and you just really need to, um, I guess, control your breathing, improve your sleep, get moving, I guess, clear your mind. All these life skills which Alan's just gone through then, this will all be available on the Six Park website. The show notes will be available there at sixpark.com.au and uh, you can also take the Six Park Risk Assessment that I mentioned earlier. Alan, thank you so much for this fascinating discussion on stress and anxiety and what, what we're all feeling and going through right now. Alan, where can listeners find out more information about you? So my business name is Potential Psychology. So I am at potential.com.au on the internet. That's my website. You'll find a link there to the podcast. So the podcast is available on all of your favorite podcasting platforms. And it's just called called Potential Psychology Podcast. Super simple. And um, I have, as you would know, just released an episode myself talking about a lot of these issues and the ins and outs of it. Uh, I've got a blog post at the moment also on my website on the same topic. But as a general rule, my podcast, I interview experts in the fields of positive psychology, uh, psychology, neuroscience, high performance, pretty much anything that fascinates me uh, that has to do with human behavior. So these are the sorts of topics that we talk about on a regular basis on the show. So if anybody is keen to learn more, it's a great place to start. Alan, thanks so much for joining me on this episode. I really think we need to catch up again for another another conversation at some point in the, fu- in the future when things are a bit rosier and uh, we can chat maybe about happiness. <laughs> I love one of my favourite topics to talk about. So absolutely, I'd, I'd love to do that, Ted. Okay, thanks very much, Alan. No problems at all. Okay, I hope you enjoyed that episode. And if it's helped or you got a lot out of it, then please make sure that you share it with a friend. To finish, I'm going to wrap up this episode in a bit of a different way. Please take the social distancing seriously and stay at home where and when you can. If you're at home and looking for a great show, there's two series on Amazon Prime that I'm a big fan of, one of which is The Test, Uh, that cricket uh, documentary and one of which is called The Boys, which is very different from uh, the cricket documentary. But also to check out Alan's podcast, Potential Psychology, and to finish a big thank you to all the people in the medical and healthcare industries that are on the front line looking after those that are sick and vulnerable right now, and also to the teachers and carers that are out there playing an important role too in all of this. Thank you to all those heroes. See you next time on The Richards Report. 